Now, as you know, Pastor has been leading us in a series this semester called More in 2024. And last week, uh, online, Brother Steve preached about more Bible intake and what it means for us to dig deep into God's Word. And he has tasked me with the journey of preaching on more prayer. And so if you have a journal or something that you're taking notes with, I hope that you'll write this down. The title this morning is More Prayer in 2024. More Prayer in 2024. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I grew up in Bartlett. I've been in Memphis, Tennessee my entire life. And at the end of my seventh grade year, my greatest fear at that time in my life was whether I would make the basketball team my eighth grade year. I don't know if you remember those feelings. I remember those feelings. This was 2007. And back in the day, this is how they would announce the team roster. You had to wait until the very end of the school day. And they would announce the roster one by one, name by name, over the intercom for the whole school. For a seventh grader, an eighth grader, this was a a torturous, suspenseful event. For me, it was the most anxious thing of my life. I remember sitting there in class hearing name after name of who would make this basketball team. And that summer, I remember telling my mom, who's here with me this morning, I remember telling her that I was so anxious I wouldn't make the team that fall. And she gave me great advice. Every year in the fall, what they would do leading up to tryouts is the coach would do conditionings. Now, if you played any kind of sport, you probably hate conditionings. They're not fun. But through those conditionings, you have a special opportunity. What it is, is it's an open gym workout for anyone in the school to come to for about a month and a half before tryouts happen. My mom told me, she said, if you want to make the team, you need to go to every conditioning, and you don't need to miss an open gym workout. And it wasn't just about getting in shape. It wasn't just about being there so that people could see me there. What she knew then that I didn't understand at the time is that at these open gym workouts, players had the chance to learn who the coach was and what his expectations really were. See, if you went into tryouts and you didn't go to any of those open gyms, you were really trying out for a coach that you didn't really know. Now, for me, I realized Uh, Prayerfully, I ended up making the team. My name was called, like 11th out of 12th, but it's fine. (laughs) It got called. And I ended up doing very well for this coach. I ended up doing very well on this basketball team. But what I learned in eighth grade is that a big reason why I thrived on that team was because of those open gym workouts. Because through those open gym workouts, I was able to build a close relationship with the coach. I didn't have to guess about his expectations. I had learned who he was and what he expected from me. I also couldn't go off of what other players told me about this coach. I needed a direct relationship with him myself. And that made all the difference for me with my experience with that team. I tell you that this morning because being a Christian is a lot more significant than being on a basketball team, especially a middle school basketball team. Thankfully, our hallways don't smell like Axe body spray. Amen. (laughs) Right? Being a Christian is a lot more significant. In fact, as Christians, we're not just on the same team. We're a part of the same kingdom. And what I want to remind you of this morning as we talk about prayer is that you and I cannot thrive as a member of God's kingdom without having a close relationship with the king. There's no bypassing it. There's no shortcuts. The way we thrive by being a Christian and being a part of God's kingdom is by having a close relationship with the king. You cannot just settle for what your peers tell you about God. You and I have got to strive 
to walk closely and personally with the Lord if we want to succeed as a believer. Sadly, in 2024, a lot of Christians don't feel like they are thriving. I have days like that myself. A lot of Christians feel like God is very far from them. And when you come to a topic like this, especially when you talk about God's word, when you, talk, when you get to prayer, prayer is one of the most mysterious aspects of the Christian life, yet it's also arguably the most crucial. It's our direct line to God. It's our oxygen that we breathe as a Christian. And statistically, it's also one of the greatest struggles for the believer is prayer. And it's very fascinating. Now, what I want to show you this morning in Ephesians chapter 1 is that Paul is going to show his heart in how he prays for his friends. What I want to show you this morning is that Paul is going to show what he truly believes is the most important thing you could pray for someone that you love. Now, as he writes to the Ephesians, remember, he is writing to people he loves. We love to read the Bible and think that every single word is directly to us. And man, it absolutely does apply to us. But Paul, as he writes this letter, is writing to people who he knows, who he loves, who he did ministry with side by side. So in his mind, in his heart, as he writes a prayer for them, this is a personal prayer. And there's a lot that we can learn from it. And so look with me, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. God's word says this. It says, this is why, since I had heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Speaking of them, he says, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. He praises the Lord that he knows these people and their faith. Verse 17 says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18 says, and I love this verse, I love this language, I think this is beautiful language in Scripture. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Isn't that beautiful, church family? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, here's what they're enlightened to, so that you may know what is the hope of this calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable Greatness of his power toward who? Toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Isn't that an incredible text? Now, I want to break this down with you, and I want to send you home with a few things. I have one main point, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. A main point that we can take away about prayer from what Paul prays is, number one, this. Pray for an enlightened heart that knows God more. Pray for an enlightened heart that knows God more. As we go into 2024, what a special prayer it is, not just for ourselves, but for our loved ones, to pray that our heart would be enlightened to know God more. Now, if you compare Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 1 to his prayer in Philippians 1, to his prayer in Colossians 1, And even his prayer later in Ephesians chapter 3, you'll find that Paul often prayed the same thing for people he loved. Paul often prayed the same thing for people he loved. And very rarely, watch this, don't miss this this morning. This is going to set up what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. Very rarely does he pray for their circumstances to change. Man, it is one of the most astounding things to my mind and to our mind to understand. But he rarely prays for his loved one's circumstances to change. 
And hear me, for the Ephesians, they were in different circumstances than you and I are even today in 2024. For the Ephesians, they had very bad circumstances like you and I do. They lived at a time of dangers and hardships. They faced persecution over their faith. They faced faced a lot of death from disease. They faced oppression from powerful rulers. And they faced separation from loved ones. I would argue that their existence was even less secure than yours and mine is today, especially in our Western culture. Yet in Paul's prayers, these people who he loves so deeply and cares so much and did ministry side by side with, his prayer is not for their circumstances to change. He doesn't pray for them the things that I usually have at the top of my list. Usually at the top of my list, if you're anything like me, at the top of my list usually is that circumstances would work out for my better or my loved one's better. Am I right? Am I the only one that prays that way? Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm telling you. There are a lot of days when I go into prayer, my first prayer is, God, can you help work this situation out? Can you make this better for me? Can you, you know, remove this person from me, right? They're a little annoying. Can you get some healthy distance here, God, right? Sometimes it's like, God, can you, like, move me away from this person at work, right? And it's not here at my work. I love everybody at Bellevue, obviously. (laughs) Find that for you. I love all my coworkers. Praise the Lord. I I was like, my work is here. I love my coworkers, (laughs) right? Remove the stranger at Kroger that cut me off in the parking lot. Oh, man, that's funny, man. That's good. Praise the Lord for coworkers. (laughs) We pray for external circumstances to change, right? We do. And Paul, when you study his prayers for his loved ones, he rarely prays for their circumstances to change. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread. He tells us to pray for healing. Paul tells Timothy to pray for the needs of the world to be met. It's not a wrong thing to pray for circumstances to change. We absolutely should. Hear me. Paul is not giving us a model of prayer here. This is not what this text is about. Paul is revealing a heart that he has in prayer for his loved ones that you and I can mirror. This is a very crucial text. This is not a model for us to just follow. It's something for us to learn from. What Paul here is doing is he's showing what he desires most for his loved ones. Now, what is that? Truly, hear me. Paul's greatest desire for his loved ones is that they would grow to know God more. That in Paul's mind, regardless of circumstances, the prize is knowing God more. I don't know about you. I don't always view prayer in that way. A lot of times prayer for me is what can I get from God, not how can I get more of God. And for Paul, whether you are suffering whether you are in a valley or whether life is going great and your circumstances are working out well. For Paul, the prize is to know God more, regardless of their circumstances, and that's what he prays. That's what he prays for people who he loves, who are in the middle of persecution, is that, hey, your circumstances can change. God could alleviate it, but if you don't draw closer to God in that circumstance, what good is it really for? Man, that's a hard truth to understand in our culture today, isn't it? And he explains this by saying that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. Now, biblically speaking, You know as well as I do that the eyes of the heart mean the heart is the control center of the entire self, biblically. That when Scripture speaks of the heart, it speaks about our deepest loves, our foundational hopes. I'm doing a sermon series right now for our college ministry that is on emotions and how to biblically process and manage them. And i got to tell you, the heart represents the control center of our emotions and our feelings, what we walk through, how we feel every day. It represents our thoughts. It represents the deepest parts of us. 
And so here, this is an incredible truth. When Paul says that he wants his friends to have a heart that eyes are enlightened, what he's saying is, is that when your eyes are enlightened, it means that you see a truth so deeply that it affects and changes the whole person. That when your heart sees a truth and it is enlightened about who God is, it changes the whole person. I love this quote. It'll be on the screen. It says this, We may know that God is holy, But when our hearts, eyes are enlightened to that truth, we not only understand it, but emotionally we find God's holiness wonderful and beautiful. And this is what we do. We avoid attitudes and behaviors that would dishonor him. Paul believed that a fuller knowledge of God was worth more than a change in circumstances. It's beautiful when you realize that Paul was praying for their prayer lives. Church family, how serious do you and I take our prayer life? How serious do you and I take our time with God? Because scripture holds it in high regard. Our pastor holds it in high regard. He has led us in this. And one verse that I love in Isaiah 64 that is a really incredible picture of prayer is in Isaiah 64, it talks about how no one is pursuing God purely. And it describes prayer in this way. I want to put this verse on the screen. It says this, that no one calls on your name striving to take hold of you. Prayer is you attempting to take hold of a living God. When you watch a concert in 2024, or if you watch a professional sports game, if you watch an NBA game or you watch an NFL game, next time you watch a concert, next time you're at a concert, next time you're watching a sports game, watch the people who are closest to the court, closest to the field, closest to the stage. And watch what those people do When that artist or that athlete gets close to them, every single one of them are going to reach their arms out in the same way, just like this. Have you ever seen that? That picture of people right there on the stage, the artist gets close, they're singing their song that has sold millions, and the fans are right there just reaching out, just trying. If you watch NBA games, when LeBron James is walking off the court, there's the tunnel, and all those guys are right there just reaching out. They got jerseys, they got stuff, they're just reaching their hands out. All because, as fans... When we idolize someone, when we admire someone, our greatest goal is to just be able to grab a hold of them, to make them real, to know that, hey, we are right here with somebody that we have been admiring and idolizing. Watch it. That's what our culture does. We idolize celebrities to the point where we just want to grab a hold of them. That's what prayer is supposed to be with a holy God. (laughs) That you and I would admire him so much that we just want to grab a hold of God and not let go. See, it gets old admiring somebody from afar for a while. (laughs) Pretty soon you want close and you want personal to embrace God. But that's not how many of us view prayer. That's not how I view prayer. Can you imagine going into your prayer closet and not letting go until you know you have been in the presence of the Lord and he has comforted you and he has walked with you and he has loved you and he has reminded you exactly who he is. I get convicted when I see the desperation on fans' face, hopeful just to grab a hold of a celebrity, when we have the living true God that wants to spend time with us, unlike a lot of celebrities who we idolize, the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth wants to spend time with you and me and we don't even really want to take a hold of him. Why do we not have that desperation in 2024? Why do we not have that deep hope that we could grab a hold of God in a personal way? I want to tell you this. A Christian with no prayer is attempting to live for a God they're not close with. I'll say it one more time for you this morning. A Christian, you or me, 
with no prayer is attempting to live for a God that they're not close with. May our prayers be not about getting more from God, but about getting more of God. Now, I want to give you three characteristics of an enlightened heart very briefly. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first one is this. A, a prayer life that's immersed in God's word. If you know our pastor, you know this is how he prays. He prays God's word. He has led us to pray God's word. That the first characteristic we see that Paul lays out here is that an enlightened heart is, has a prayer life that is immersed in God's word. I read a book a while ago, and the author said something that has stuck with me for a couple of years now. He said, that, he said that there's a lot of power in words, and he said that God's words are identical with his actions. And when you look across Scripture, God's words are identical with his actions. And you think about Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, verse 3, God said there would be light. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Whatever he says happens. And what's amazing is it doesn't say that God spoke and then proceeded to do something to create light. It just said he spoke and that was enough. Light was there. For a human being, when you and me say let there be light, we have to walk over and flip a switch. (laughs) See, our words can fall short. Our words can fall flat. They need actions to back them up or our words can fail. An amazing thing about God when you look across Scripture is that his word does not ever fail. His word does not fall flat. His word is sufficient enough. It's an amazing truth about God. God's words cannot fail. The God of the Bible is a God who by his very nature acts through speaking. This is why when you see God's word referenced in the Bible, it's referring to his active presence in our world. That God's word is his active presence in this world. That's why in John chapter 1 it says that Jesus is in the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus. And then even in Hebrews 4 verse 12 When talking about the word, it says that the word is active and alive. When God speaks, he's done enough. This is why God has given you and me his perfect word, because through his word, we find our deepest, most intimate connection to him. But so many Christians try to bypass God's word. So many of us, as Pastor said last week, are not truly living in this. And if if his word represents his active presence in our world, and we're not living in this, we are choosing not to live as close to God as we can. We are in the New Testament era. He has blessed us with this. And so many of us take it for granted, myself included. I remember when I first began praying prayers at 21 years old. And I remember, man, I had very, very little knowledge of the Bible. When I gave my life to Jesus, the only thing I knew about the Bible was very few verses, a very few verses. And I had very simple prayers. And believe me, God met me right where I was. God answered those simple, tiny prayers. God moved in powerful ways. He was so faithful. And it was an amazing time for me starting off my prayer life. But I want to tell you something that I still remember to this day, about eight years later, is that I can still remember myself early on hitting my prayer ceiling. I can remember early on hitting my limit in prayer. Because I lacked so much knowledge of God's word, my prayers were limited. I would run out of things to ask for, and I would run out of things to say. My lack of knowing who God was led to a lack in my prayer life. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Because I remember as an early believer, I ran out of praises, and the reason why I would run out of praises is because I didn't really know the God I was praising that well. There's only so many different ways I can say, God, you are good. (laughs) 
There's so much more to the depth of his character, and I hadn't learned that yet. And I could feel myself hitting my cap on being able to praise God. And for some of you, you're in the same boat this morning. Some of you want to praise God, but because you don't know his word as well, because you're not living in his word, you don't know exactly how to praise him. And when you don't know exactly how to praise somebody, you'll just choose not to and move on. When you don't understand how or why to praise something, you'll move on to something you do. And that's why a lot of people in our world praise the world because they understand it more than they've taken time to understand God. It's amazing that his word will not fail you when you dive deep into knowing who he is. And the more you learn who he is, every single moment you learn about his character and his attributes will lead you to praising him in a new, fresh, and specific way. And man, I'm telling you, it will take your prayer life to the next level. And on the flip side of that coin, not only can I remember hitting my cap with praises, I can remember hitting my cap with requests. I remember not really knowing what to ask for in prayer. You know why? Because the Bible says you need to pray according to God's will. Right? I can pray all day long to become a millionaire. If that's not God's will for me, those prayers aren't going to make a difference. We're called to pray according to his will. How do you know God's will? Well, the primary way is to know his word. There's no way to know his word, His will without knowing his word. And for me, I remember getting to a point where I would stop asking God for things because I didn't really know if they were things he would bless or not. Truly, I did not know if I was asking something that was good or bad because my knowledge of what his will was, my knowledge of what he would want me to ask for, my knowledge of his desires was very limited. So I don't know what my desires should be. Listen, there are a lot of people in this room who relate to what I'm saying right now. A lot of us, our prayers are limited. We hit a wall, we hit a ceiling, and we don't know why. We don't know why it appears that other people in the church can pray for hours, can pray every day, and we can't. It goes back to our knowledge and our depth of who God is. That's what drives our prayer. That's what drives any conversation. If you talk to a stranger in Kroger here in Memphis, you'll probably talk to them about Memphis weather. You'll probably talk about the snow week. You might talk about the Grizzlies. They got a whole lot of injuries. And past that, you don't know really what to talk about because they're a stranger. You don't know them. When you and I go to prayer with God, if we don't really know what to talk about, we have to ask the question, is he a stranger? Because when I sit down with my wife, I don't run out of things to talk about. I know her. She knows me. We can talk for hours. And if we know God that way and he knows us, why shouldn't our prayers be similar? Man, I'm telling you, there is so much more to your prayer life and to my prayer life. And that is that our eyes of our heart would be enlightened to know God deeper. That's his immeasurable power and his immeasurable greatness. And that comes through being immersed in his word. I love one author. He said in a book that I've been reading, he said that we should dive headfirst into the sea of God's word and watch our prayers take off from there. When we were all children learning how to speak English, every single one of us learned it by hearing it first. Every single one of us were spoken to before we spoke. Every single one of us learned a language because we heard it before we spoke it. Studies show that children's ability to understand and speak is profoundly affected by the number of words and vocabulary that they hear every single day as an infant and a toddler. We speak a language when we have been immersed in it first. We can only speak to the degree we have been spoken to. This is why our prayer life grows when we're immersed in God's word because I want to promise you, as you hear God's voice in your life, you will understand how to better speak to him and how to more intimately speak with him. 
When you are immersed in this, it is learning the language and the words of God. And trying to grow your prayer life without this is going to leave you hitting a ceiling just like I have many days. A sponge can't do what it's made to do until it's saturated in water. You and I can see mountains move in prayer. But we got to be saturated in God's word for that to happen. Or else we don't know what mountains to even pray for moving. Are you immersed in God's word? Not only that, but be a prayer life that's sincere when in private. A prayer life that's sincere when in private. This is where it gets a little dangerous for Christians. This is where the temptations arise. Because as Paul prays for the Ephesians, his main concern and focus is their heart. His focus is on their inner status with the Lord. And I don't know about you, if you're anything like me, I often get consumed with my outer life. And I forget about my inner life. Many of us in our culture today, we're so focused on our circumstances, what other people think about us, how we portray ourselves to other people. I know I'm not the only one in a room this size that has spent time and energy wondering what so-and-so thinks about me. I can't be the only one statistically. (laughs) We spend so much of our brain power thinking about our outer life. Do we not? Our culture says do it. Our culture pushes the outer life. Our culture goes against everything prayer represents. Do you know that? Do you know that you and your children and your grandchildren, maybe you have college students that would be in our ministry here in the college ministry. Maybe you have high school students, middle school students, whatever the case may be. Do you know that our culture goes against prayer in every way? Prayer is slow. Our culture loves fast. Prayer is about lifting God up. Our culture loves to exalt self. And I'm telling you, we, we are in a real challenge in our Christian walks in 2024 when it comes to prayer because culture is pushing us the opposite way. And culture, what the world wants you to do is focus on your outer life and forget your inner life. And what you end up doing is you neglect your true spiritual health in order to portray something. Man, that's a slippery slope. One quote that I love on that is this. It says this, If we give priority to our outer life, our inner life will be dark and scary. This leads us to a life that lacks integrity. Outwardly, we will need to project confidence, spiritual and emotional health and wholeness, while inwardly, we may be filled with self-doubts, anxieties, self-pity, and old grudges. A great risk for you and me here in the South, what we call the Bible Belt, is that we would have a great public life and no private prayer life. That we would pray in public but not pray in private. Jesus speaks directly about this. He says this in Matthew 6, verse 5 and 6. Whatever you're teaching on prayer, crucial, crucial teaching of Jesus. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That's strong language. This is Jesus' words. He says, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. That motivating factor for us as humans a lot of times is how we can be seen. And that we want to sometimes be seen as religious. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. You know what that means? That's their reward. Their reward is that applause from people for being religious. I've seen incredible movies in the theater over the years. I'm a big movie fan. And at the end of a really good movie, I love when the audience like cheers and claps. That's when you know it's really good when like the audience cheers and claps. And the one thing about the applause of people is no matter how loud it is, no matter how good it is, It always comes to an end. 
You and I can live for the applause of people. But every time it comes to an end, and it will, you'll chase the next applause. That's not how God has designed us to live. God has designed us to live for his applause and his approval. And when we have that in Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and we don't have to shift the way the world does. Jesus says this, though. He tells you. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room. It's amazing how he emphasizes private. Again, Jesus' focus is on the heart with you. Paul's focus is on the heart of his friends. There's a common denominator. He says, when you go into your private room, shut your door. Shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Now understand that Jesus says the greatest test of your spiritual integrity is your private prayer life. Man, if you want to know if, if prayer is important, like does it really matter? Does this whole idea matter? Your spiritual integrity, Jesus says, can be measured by your private prayer life, not publicly, not over the meals, not here in Sunday morning service. My prayers on this stage. No, it's my prayers in private are where the power truly comes from. That's how you can measure a real and sincere walk with the Lord. Now, for me, that's convicting because I want to pursue the Lord in private more than I even can pursue him in public. Do you? That comes through prayer. Because Christians who are genuinely pursuing God want to talk, about, talk to God in private as much as they do in public. The psalms that we relate to the most from King David are the ones where he is pouring his heart out to God in a dark cave with nobody around. I love Psalm 142. Very quickly, I'll give you three verses. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Along this path I travel, they have hidden a trap for me. In 2024, we have an enlightened heart that knows God more. Two characteristics we've covered of that are A, a prayer life that's immersed in God's word. B, a prayer life that's sincere and private. And then C, a prayer life that's in awe of who God is. A prayer life that's in awe of who God is. Even as Paul prays for his friends, he ends it with describing to them that they praying their hearts would see the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. I like to read a lot of books. They slow my mind down. Sometimes my mind goes really fast. Reading helps slow my mind down. I don't know about you, but we live in a fast culture, and I need some way to slow down, and I found a lot of joy in reading. C.S. Lewis wrote a book. I don't know if you've read it. It's titled Reflections on the Psalms. And in that book, I don't have time to give you, obviously, everything. That would delay our entire Sunday. We would be here until tonight. In that book, there's one thing I want to point out to you is that he wrestles with the importance of why humans praise God and why we need to praise God all throughout the Psalms. He wrestles with this idea. It's an incredible book. And as time went on, C.S. Lewis, what he did, it's very fascinating. Don't miss this. What he did is he began to reflect on why we praise anything at all in life. Even this morning, we said there's joy in the house of the Lord. I'm starting to sing. My goodness. (laughs) Right? We're praising this morning. We're lifting our hands like praise is a big deal. It's a big deal here in the church. It's a big deal in Scripture. And C.S. Lewis started asking the question, why do we praise anything at all? And what he found is very fascinating. He started to write out, what do we mean, for example, when we say that a picture, a piece of art, a piece of music, 
a book? What do we mean when we say that it's admirable? What do you and I mean when we tell somebody, man, you have to see the Grand Canyon, it's incredible? What do we mean when we say, man, you have to see the Grand Canyon, it's incredible? What do we mean by that? What we mean is, what he found is that we're telling people that they ought to admire those things, and if they don't, they'll miss out on something wonderful. Now, you think about that. That changes a little bit of how you view praise. It's almost as if to say, if you don't praise this, if you don't see this for its goodness, if you don't see this for its glory, it's not that the Grand Canyon suffers. It's that you miss out on something wonderful. And this was a long journey for C.S. Lewis that helped many people. Now, watch this. Let's keep going. To not see the Grand Canyon and its joy, its vastness and size is missing something special right here in our world. This idea helps C.S. Lewis understand the need to praise God. And maybe there's many here this morning who are struggling with why do we need to praise God every day? What does it mean to even say praise God? I've said it multiple times up here. This is what he found. If God is the greatest... And most worthy of all praise, worth our highest admiration, the creator of everything else wonderful and beautiful, then to praise him is something you should never miss out on. That praising and worshiping God is the greatest thing we can experience ourselves, and missing out on that would equal not truly living life to its fullest. Understand that when you do Understand the immeasurable greatness of God. When you do give God praise, that is the absolute best thing that you can do. Worshiping a holy God for you and me to even have the chance and the opportunity to worship a holy God is us not missing out on why we're even really here. (laughs) That Jesus would allow us of this opportunity to praise and to worship him. Truly, it changes your view of praise. Not just does God deserve it and he's owed it, but how great it is that we would have this opportunity. You think about the Grand Canyon to look upon its vastness. How much greater is the one who created the Grand Canyon like that? Woo! But that's not all that C.S. Lewis found. And this is where I'm going to end on. What C.S. Lewis ultimately found is that all enjoyment that we experience in this world, in our life, what it does is it naturally leads us to praise. That whenever you truly do enjoy something, you can't help but praise it. When you find something that you enjoy, you cannot go without praising it. There's something deep down in every single one of us in this room this morning that knows when we love something, we want to praise it. The only thing better than praising something you love is sharing it with someone else and why they should praise it too. If you don't believe me, I'll tell you this. When you love a movie... You get more joy out of watching a loved one experience why that movie's amazing than you even did the first time. <laughs> My wife loves audiobooks. She listens to them for hours in her headphones. And I'm convinced the only thing my wife loves more than listening to these books for herself is then taking out her AirPods and proceeding for the next two hours to tell me every single moment that just happened in that book that she loved. <laughs> she loves it. <laughs> We will talk for hours about everything she just listened to. I've heard so many books that I've never actually listened to myself. Because when my wife loves it, she can't help. But the first thing she does when she takes out her AirPods is say, okay, I've got to include somebody in this. Somebody else that I love needs to know why this book is amazing. Can I tell you something? Can you imagine if that's where our evangelism came from? Can you imagine if we left our prayer closet, took out our AirPods, left our Bible, and went out into the world and said, man, I have got to share this with someone I love. 
Someone has got to see God the way that I see God. Someone has got to know God the way that I know God. This praise must be shared. So C.S. Lewis found that anything we truly enjoy leads us to praise. So hear me. If we don't see ourselves praising God, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly enjoying his presence? Are we truly enjoying prayer? Are we truly enjoying being in his word? Because even in circumstances that are bad, we can enjoy God's word. When you love someone, you want everyone to know him the way that you do. Even for me, I'll tell you, I love my family deeply. I love my wife, Hannah. I love my mom, my dad, and my sister. I admire them so much. I want everyone to know them the way I do. Whenever I get on kicks and whenever I love something or I love someone, I want everyone to love it as much as I do. I can't help myself. And I'm sure that you have someone in your life that you admire the way that I admire my parents. I think the greatest joy in my life apart from Christ is when my worlds get to collide. And I'll tell you, for example, Brother Steve got to meet and know my dad not too long ago, uh, as has Drew and many others here. And I love my dad. My dad is my superhero. He is Superman. And I think he's amazing, and I want everyone to know my dad the way that I know him. And after Brother Steve got to chop it up with him and talk to him, he called me on the phone. And when you get a call from Brother Steve, you answer. You drop whatever you're doing. You know, you stop eating. You're like, let me set this sandwich down. You know what I'm saying? And Brother Steve calls me, and he says, hey, Daniel. You know, and I'm like, hey, Brother Steve. And he goes, you know, he's like, man, I just left your dad's house. He's helped me out with my car and everything. I said, that's great, Brother Steve. And he says this. He goes, man, your dad is awesome. And when I tell you, like, my heart just overflowed. And I can't even describe it because my pastor, who I love, got to share with me in a moment of admiration for my dad, who I also love. It's a dream to think that Brother Steve would ever get to know my mom or my dad the way that I get to know them. When you love someone, you will be desperate for everyone else to know them the way that you know them. That's why in Romans chapter 9, when Paul talks about he could consider losing his salvation if it meant all his brothers and sisters would be saved in Christ, he's not saying that he doesn't treasure his salvation. No, he's saying that because he loves Christ so much, the only thing even greater than that to him in his mind would be seeing everybody else share in the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. The only thing better than us even getting to praise is when we invite others in and show them why they should praise too. So church family, I got to tell you, if you love God deeply and you spend time with him deeply, you will want everyone to know him the way you do. I want to tell you that there's no such thing as professional prayer None of us in here are experts in any way, shape, or form. But if you want more prayer, it begins in private with a heart that is in awe of who God is, and it will lead you to praising him with everyone you know. God deserves it. He is worth it. And all of your loved ones will be blessed by it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.